So hello and welcome to the second episode of the Digital Doctor podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the patient list. And I'm with my co-hosts, Ed Wallet. Hello. And Wei Kong. Hi there. Okay, so let's get started. And I think we had a couple of announcements and news items to, to go through. And I think we should start with that. What do you think, Ed? Yeah, let's definitely do that. So... Um... Maybe say something briefly about uh, the this podcast. So this podcast, uh, we've got it up on the website, which is digitaldoc.co.uk. Um, and there's going to be a, a feed appearing on there. So if you're into, um, if you're a very digital doctor and you're into subscribing using RSS feeds and all that kind of thing, then you'll be able to do that hopefully in the next couple of days. That way you'll always be aware when the next episode um, has come, up, uh, come out so you won't need to check it. Um, and also, um, just to remind people again that uh, we're still open for registrations with the Digital Doctor Conference, which is on the uh, first weekend of December, Saturday, December the 1st, and Sunday, December the 2nd. That's in London in Covent Garden. Uh, tickets are very reasonably priced. Um, I think £50 for both days, including all food if you're a doctor, and I think about 35 if you're a student. So if you like this podcast and you want to meet other people who are interested in this kind of thing and, and learn more, then do come along um, to uh, the conference. I also think it's worth saying that we, we are not making any money from this conference. Uh, we just think that this is something worthwhile that uh, is worth doing, and we are very excited to meet more people to talk about the things that we are excited about. Yes, this is a social enterprise. Well, put. so do go on to our website. It's uh, www.thedigitaldoc.co.uk and you can see more information about the conference and you can get this podcast. And I assume if you're listening to it, you've probably already been there. <laughs> Don't forget our Twitter. So you can follow us on Twitter uh, at the Digidoc. Great stuff. So let's, should we crack on and get straight into um, this week's uh, topic, which is the patient list and uh, problems around it. So let's start from the very basics, Wei Kong. So what is a patient list? And we've all used one before, but what exactly do we mean by that? Well, from the first day that um, I was a doctor, and this is going back nearly nine years ago now, I was given a list of patients um, that I look after and have responsibility for. So a patient list basically tells me who they are, their date of birth, their hospital number, where they are, what I need to do about them, um, tests that I need to chase up, and also important things, really summaries about their key things that have happened to them before, for example, whether they, what medical conditions they have, and also ongoing problems. Um, so it's some, it's, it, And the other thing that's really important to mention as well is that we also record tasks that we need to perform on uh, different patients on this list. So it's a very important multi-purpose device, if you like, and I've used that word carefully. <laughs> I mean, essentially, it is a piece of paper with all the patient details that as a junior doctor, you carry around in your pocket, the patients you're looking after, and then scribble on during the day to remind yourself to do jobs. I mean, and it's absolutely essential to, to everything we do. Uh, in fact, I remember many situations where I have lost or misplaced a patient list, and that's one of the most anxiety-provoking things that I've ever experienced. So why have we managed to get this as the first topic on the Digital Doctor podcast? I mean, what, what is it about the patient list? And I think you kind of said it there, Wei Kong, is that it's just so fundamental to the way we work in our hospital. And I, I think that goes for not just doctors, but for other clinicians as well. So physiotherapists, occupational therapists, and nurses, they all have lists and they use their lists to, to list the patients, as you've said, and, and all the tasks that need to be done. So it's a pretty fundamental way of working. So by challenging this, we're, we're sort of challenging the way people work throughout the hospital, really. I think it's fundamental and it's fundamentally broken as a, as a, as a mechanism. I mean, yes, it works, but it's not there. I mean, there are a number of, you know, we could go on to talk about what are the problems with this. Um, so I think the first problem, um, which we can maybe talk a little bit more about later, is just in terms of a productivity point of view, it's not a very... If you're working in a team, which, of course, as a doctor, you always are, you're working with 
sometimes more junior doctors, sometimes more senior doctors, sometimes non-doctors, allied health professionals, physios, nurses, and things like that. And for everybody to be carrying around their own piece of paper and, and, and recording things on that is not a particularly efficient way of, of working within a team. Yeah. Um, I think the, the next problem is often the way that these lists are organized in themselves are not very, um, are not very, are not in the best practices of, of good productivity theory. So, you know, having a spreadsheet, also almost like an Excel t spreadsheet or table where each row is a, is a patient and then having a big empty box at the end where you fill things in um, isn't very good from a productivity point of view because in order to figure out what you need to do next, you have to scan the entire list and figure out, am I in the right context to be able to do that job and how can I put them together, et cetera, et cetera. So and we'll talk maybe a little bit about that in a moment and how that can be made better. Um, and I think the last thing is something that's really obvious, but actually is something that fundamentally is, is overlooked and often used as an argument against why we should keep this paper patient list as opposed to getting a technological solution. And that's just information governance. I mean, walking around in the hospital with a piece of paper, which is very light, it's very easy to, to drop and lose or leave on, a, leave on a coffee table or in the mess or wherever, with, full of all the patient data. You know, you've got names, you've got dates of birth, you've got hospital numbers, you've got diagnoses, you've got current issues. All in one place, you know, is an information governance nightmare. Blimey. So we can already see Ed's very passionate about this topic. He's basically done the whole podcast on his own. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know it just, it just annoys me so much. Yeah, um, no, it's very an emotive subject, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I, I think we're all very passionate about this and we all come at it from a slightly different uh, viewpoint. But I, let's recap what, exactly what a patient list is. I think we've said it's what it's for, but for those who, I mean, everyone probably listening does know what a patient list is and, and has uses one day in, day out. But for those who listening that may not know, basically, as Ed described, it's a big table and usually it's either, I like to have it portrait uh, on an A4 piece of paper, some have it landscape and there's a column, usually the first column. Uh, will have a um, patient information in, in the first column. So each row is a new patient. In the first column is all their identifying details, which, you know, as you said, Ed, you don't want to leave on the coffee table or on the bus. And um, usually in the second column, there's something else like the background or a bit about why the patient's in hospital and what medical conditions they've had previously. Um, then there's usually another column that says, what's the working diagnosis? What positive or negative results have we got back? And as Ed said, usually the last column or even just scribbled along in the margin on the side is a list of tasks that are generated throughout the process of work. So it might be a ward round. Someone will go around and there'll be a list of jobs that come up and uh, we'll write those by the side. And, and some people have an innovative system. I've seen this lots of times and we'll talk about this later, but they'll draw a little box. And there's like a, it's almost a, a symbolic notation for working out where you are in the process of having that task done. Have you ordered the scan? Is the scan result back? Has it been done but not reported? Is it in the notes? Those kinds of things. So that's basically what it is. Wacom went over what it's for. Um, but how can we do this differently, Wacom? I, I don't know. Should we actually step back a little bit and actually say, why does it, even though it's quite broken, why does it kind of still work? What's the advantage of having it on a piece of paper, which, makes, which sometimes can make it hard to replicate on, on maybe a computer, a tablet or a phone? So I, I, I hope I was going to try and bring this up myself, but I'm so glad you did. Because last, last first episode of the podcast, I, I, uh, I always try and play devil's advocate. But I was saying, you know, what's the point of a patient list? What, I mean, what do we do with it? I mean, surely we're all writing things in the notes anyway. Shouldn't this kind of information be in the notes? And one of the things that, that we do is we hand over to others, you know, we identify whose patient are they. And I think recently most hospitals in the UK have moved from a kind of consultant team-led system whereby your patients could be spread out amongst many wards around the hospital. My experience has been that hospitals have moved to a ward-based system. Now, um, for, for quite small teams that all their patients are on one ward, you know, just identifying which patient's yours. It, I mean, I don't think the list serves that purpose as well as it used to. It has less value in that context when you're on a ward where all your patients are on that ward 
and every every ward tends to have like a screen or or a whiteboard. Is that your experience as well, guys? Well, for me, it's slightly different. Um, and as a hematologist, I see a lot of referrals, and I have a list of referrals that I need to see, which I try to keep track of. So right. my patients don't tend to be primarily my own patients, but also patients which are shared with other teams. So, yeah. so that's that's a slightly different challenge of the patient list, but. What I was actually trying to get at with my initial challenge is that a paper patient list is incredibly mobile. Uh, you can fold it, put it in your pocket, or put it in, in, in your handbag if you carry things like that. Um, you, if you carry a multicolored pen, you can write different codes for yourself so they can keep track of things that can be visually um, stimulating in, uh, to remind you. Um, and it doesn't rely on batteries. Um, you know, uh, water doesn't destroy it. And so it's got a lot of, I, paper lists anyway, has got a lot of very um, important properties as well, which we shouldn't take for granted. Do you have a handbag with I, I don't. I don't only neurologists carry handbags. But, oh, um, no, no. I've opened myself <laughs> to ridicule. Man bag and suede loafers. Oh. <laughs> I don't think you, you I mean, you the odd one out if you're a neurologist, and you don't have a bag. It's because we have to carry around so many diagnostic um, pieces of equipment. That's why. Okay. They're, they're so useful, those pieces of equipment. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> We're going off topic. <laughs> um, right. Let's get back on, on topic then. So you're saying the merits of paperweight Kong are numerous, in, as in, it, I, it, I agree, it fits with the concept of ubiquitous capture, which some of the GTD nerds or get things done nerds would have heard. So, you know, you can write on it anywhere, anytime, in the toilet, on the, on the way walking to or from a ward, uh, anytime you can write on it, and it's always with you in your back pocket, hopefully. Yep. Um, should we also go on to just maybe tell the viewers how uh, a patient list is actually physically generated? Um, uh, you know, in the past, people used to literally handwrite it and then make photocopies of it to distribute it to their teams. Uh, and when with the advent of computers, what they've done is just to replace that with a Word document, which they update at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, and 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 um, and they print it out on multiple pieces of paper uh, again. So uh, I thought we might be giving the viewers, uh, sorry, the listeners, uh, a slightly a skewed um, impression that the list is actually updated as we work throughout the day, but actually uh, it's not used that way at all. I mean, some teams do create several versions a day, don't they? I mean, like before the consultant ward round, after the consultant ward round, it must be updated and reprinted another six copies, however many on your team will need to be printed. But then you fall into a bit of sort of productivity procrastination hole where, you know, you spend your days planning what you need to do based upon what's happened before, but not actually getting anything done. Um, Mm. I have have seen teams that do that, but they seem to spend about 50% of their time having to update the... The, the system that they use, the patient list, because fundamentally it's the wrong system for the problem. Mm. Absolutely agree. So um, how do we move on from this current situation? And, why, and, and another question to answer that we might explore later is, if this is such a fundamental problem to our working life, why is it that there isn't a technological solution that people can buy or use? Well, I think we should maybe start with that. Like, why? Yeah, what, what are the issues about turning this patient list digital? I, I can only think, think of good things. Well, I, I don't think that's an issue, but I can think of a barrier of why this hasn't been done yet. And I think the, the biggest reason this hasn't been done yet is that the main decision makers and the people who can buy um, software solutions in hospitals are not the people who are spending the time updating and creating patient lists. Yeah, but uh, is it is does does it uh sorry does a um software solution already exist? I mean, sure there are probably types of solutions that people. There's not one very good system that I've come across, barring a few. But I mean, there's not one adopted standard. There's no de facto standard for this in the way that there are um, online systems to check blood results. And I wonder if it's something to do with how esoteric this kind of method or workflow is. Is it that it's too variable between teams that it's not flexible enough? I think it's. I think it's. I, I actually think it's what Wei Kong said. I think it's the distance of the people who have this problem from the people who commission it. 
So exactly. the most junior people often, and I, and I don't just mean sort of the most junior just qualify the F1s working in hospitals, but, mm. you know, often, you know, we're talking about the SHOs, junior registrars, and, and, and the F1s and F2s are using this to do the sort of day-to-day -day tasks for their consultants. And the consultants who would perhaps have the ability to go and um, speak to the, the managers to try and get them interested um, are just too far away from from the problem. So the, the, the distance, you know, at its maximum is an F1 who has this problem on the ward, just getting to grips with the hospital itself and how it all works and a commissioning IT manager somewhere much higher up. And that, that, that distance is just far too great, um, I think, for, for a solution to really properly start to take shape. Um, and that, I think, is actually probably the, the big reason this hasn't happened. I mean, I think we should be fair that this has happened in some way. As, as more and more of our health service and indeed health services around the world move towards having electronic patient records, this, uh, there are a number of modules that plugs in, plug into various systems that allow doctors to fulfill this type of function um, in a different way or in, in, in a way that uses that data that's available in the electronic health record. So they're not having to copy everything out into a separate Word document. But I still think the majority of junior doctors are managing their day-to-day -day jobs and their patients with this manual system. So it's typically the most junior of the team, isn't it, that has a responsibility for updating the list and writing the, getting the jobs organised, that kind of thing? Yes, yes. It's the equivalent of you know, going to get coffee for the, the actors and directors if you just get on, go onto a film set and it's your first gig. You know, it, there's a lot of those sorts of jobs that get assigned to the most junior person in the team, and, and this is one of them. So, Ed, you mentioned um, earlier on that you know of some examples of um, solutions that try to address this problem. Do you, do you have any that you can share with us? Um, I don't, well, in terms of, you mean, in terms of ones that integrate into electronic patient records... Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I don't have any specific examples. Um, I, I just, I've, I've heard of certain hospitals um, using, or certain doctors have told me in their hospital where they have an electronic type system, they're able to do, fulfill this function using that system. Um, but I'm not sure what the names are. Perhaps somebody, if they know any, would, would write in the comments. I think yeah. the examples that I've heard of is... Um handover systems, so systems that are designed um, to kind of solve the problem with information transfer at a point of um, shift changes. Um, and because of all the, all the exposure around poor communication and shift changes, people actually have um, invested uh, money and bought systems to make that easier. But I always found that that's, that actually solves a very small part of the bigger patient list problem because I just see handover uh, as is another aspect of of uh, of patient lives. Handover is very topical at the moment. Um, I think you know there is a, definitely a a problem with handover that that does need to be solved, and, and lots of trusts are making um, very good headway on on these kinds of things, making sure handover is very good. But that's not the only thing, and it's not the only time we hand over to each other. Mm. Is is the formal handover sessions? I think that's what you were referring to. There's tool, there's um, electronic tools for doing these formal handover sessions. Exactly, and I guess what I, what I was trying to say is that the principles of good handover doesn't only apply to handover. Yeah, it actually applies to everyday uh, working when we try to coordinate efforts um, between teams. So if we just go move forward and like. Um, uh, move forward slightly and think what would we like to see in a uh, technological solution to the patient list problem? Well, I kind of think that the paper handover, well, the paper patient list is doing so many different jobs and it's not, you know, because it's a multi-purpose tool, I don't think it's doing either one of them particularly well. And there are sign of other ways that are coming in. So if you think, for example, handing over, um, yeah, it might be good for a formal handover process. But what I think is really irritating is that um, each different uh, type of clinician within the hospital um, looking after the, a particular patient will have a different list and therefore a different set of information, redundancy, if you like. 
um, and duplication of that information about that patient. So, for example, if there's a patient who's coming with a pneumonia, um, the doctors will have all of the demographics and all of the background and a set of diagnoses and a list of jobs. The nurses will have the same information and uh, they may have differing information. So the diagnosis might be wrong, quite often is. And their jobs are completely different to the doctors, which is appropriate, I suppose. And then you've got the physiotherapists, the occupational therapists and, and all the other clinical teams having lists of their own and all the information doesn't marry up. And I find that quite frustrating to the point where I'd almost try. And uh, if anyone's worked with me, they'll know that I, I, I did try, but maybe not as often as I should. But I'd try and sit down with the rest of the staff and just try and corroborate our lists and make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, pardon the pun. I think it, I think it's all about data, you know, the centralization of that data, as you say, Stephen. It's about, you know, there being one patient core patient record for a patient in that hospital and yeah. that patient may have many things that be need to be done for them but those things are related perhaps in a data in a, in, a, in, a, in the database to that actual uh, patient and it's about giving access to that and everybody using the same system um, because it's without that then there is this massive separation of 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 data and, and this 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 is this actually this can be dangerous you know yeah. I've, I've seen situations where a registrar you know has made decisions about patients based upon the summary that might this two-line summary that might be on the patient list yeah. you know just because, and what if a house officer the f1 didn't copy it correctly or missed out a crucial detail or anything like that you know it, it's wor- it's 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 worrying as well in some in some sense that that the sort of in some cases, the, the story of a patient is what the what the most junior member of the team decides that story is, and then puts on the patient list. But think about it. Think about how mind blowing it is that information is everywhere in the hospital. I mean, it, legally, it should be in the notes. But you've got things on electronic health record systems. You've got things in the notes. You've got things on the doctor's lists. You've got things on the nurses' lists, the physios' lists. You know, this kind of information is everywhere, and they all differ very slightly. And I agree, centralising it would have a massive benefit see, in making sure that everything, everyone is. I would. Yeah. I would like to. I would see it as a as a <clears throat> as a modular system uh, in my fantasy land, where the patient is a module at the very centre. And all the sort of things about the patient are are stored, their name, their date of birth, their hospital ID, the history of where they've been in the hospital, their core diagnoses, maybe their notes if those aren't in the paper record. And then around that, but accessible to everybody else in the team, you've got these modules. So you might have a physio module, you might have a nursing module, you might have a, a doctor module, which includes these jobs that need to be done. But the key thing is, is that all of these things are related to that core patient and are accessible by all these different groups. And the only way we can realistically do that is by having these good centralized data setups and systems. And there are lots of reasons why this hasn't happened, um, mainly to do with the fact that, you know, software is designed at different times over different time spans for different purposes with different requirements and getting all of these things to talk to each other in a meaningful way and to marry up is impossible. I mean, look what happened at Connecting for Health. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but that, that is the, the sort of the dream, I think, isn't it? So, I mean, lack of standards, isn't there, essentially? Yes, and the, and the ability to, 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 to execute them. I mean, I understand that having kind of a, a sense the model that you described is very, very attractive. But I think we have to be very careful that we're not trying to reinvent the electronic patient record here. And that there's something that current electronic patient record systems don't do, which is task management for individuals and for doctors. I'm sorry, individuals and for teams. So how, you know, I know Stephen, for example, you are you, you quite into the principles of getting things done, uh, GTD. How do you think principles from that can apply to maybe a task management on patient list. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult talking about the patient list as an entity. And this is, I really wanted to break it down and just say, look, look at how many different jobs this one piece of paper does. Handover, identifying which patients belong to which team, um, listing problems and jobs and all the other bits of information about context. 
Um, but just separating the task management, I think it's essential. Unless you can have something that can be reordered by uh, the context, and what I mean by context, if, if anyone does get things, uh, knows GTD or get things done, uh, copyright David Co. 2001, <laughs> uh, some, some people might get that reference. But basically, if people are familiar with it, you'll understand that there's certain things you need to hand uh, to be able to do a certain job. So, for example, if you have to order a blood test on the computer, you obviously need to be at that computer. So when you're over in the radiology department, that's probably not the best time to be looking and or reminded of that particular job. It's probably best to write things in terms of, in this part of the hospital or, or using this device or telephone, I need to do these jobs. So I think in, in terms of applying GTT to the patient list, I think the patient list as it currently exists, in my experience, is not very good for uh, get things done methodology. No, I mean, the way people currently work is they write all their jobs down, um, like a dustbin of jobs that appear down the, on the list. And then what they do is they go, they go to a ward with a given set of patients and they do all the jobs on that ward. So the, the ward is always there. The ward housing the patients is always their context. And often that is completely the wrong way to do it because they'll be jumping back and forth between different modes and different contexts. So even though they'll be on the ward, they might not be in the best place to get good computer work done. They might not be in the best place to go and talk to radiology about a specific patient. So, so there's a sort of location geographical hierarchy that, that you get things done when you're there, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, but also there's priorities thing, isn't there? There's different things a bit more urgent, aren't they? Yeah. And also there's another thing which we haven't touched on is that, for example, as a registrar, I'll have, um, you know, people more junior to me carrying out most of the tasks. And even though I do not actually carry out the task, I would like to know who is going to do it and when it is done. And at the moment, there's absolutely no way for me to do that unless I speak to the person myself. Yeah, so that brings us up to one of the major things with the patient list is this group, this idea of group collaboration and mm. not just the ability for everybody to check off tasks, as you say, Wei Kong, but for everybody to know when tasks have been done and what the results of those things are or what the, what the actionable points or what the significant outcomes were. And I think that has got to be one of the absolutely central things, but actually it's often forgotten in arguments surrounding digital patient lists, but that's got to be one of the central features of any, any system, I think. And not, and not only that, I, and it also leaves an audit trail. Because at the moment, for example, when people struggle to un, um, understand why there are late discharges in hospitals and things, with the patient list auditing exactly when a decision was made for discharge, when a decision was made to order a test and when it was actually done, that's a very rich piece of operational managerial information which is just completely not recorded at the moment. It's very rich, but we must not let it be the guiding principle of the system. That, no. that, 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 I think, is a problem that has been, has been made again and again and again in so many of these systems, is that the idea of a software system, because it's been driven by people who have a particular interest in audits, i.e. hospital managers, that mm. tends to be the core function of the system, is to provide an yep. audit trail, not to actually do what it needs to do uh, for, yep. the, for the physician to take better care of his patients. But, but, so useful patients. <laughs> but useful for the business case, though. <laughs> oh, very useful. Very useful yeah. for the business case. And actually, if you get the core function right uh, of the application first, then adding just simple streams of data that one can use for audits and queries and things into the database is actually very easy. But you just have to get your priorities right and make sure that you're focusing on the problem, rather, which is the, the problem of the patient list when you're building this, not the sort of desired outcome in terms of getting information about and being able to monitor people and that kind of stuff. Okay, point, point, point taken. <laughs> I used to, when I was on call, and I don't know if anyone else does this, I actually was told this by uh, one of my registrars at the time, I actually draw like a, you know, like a Jahari's window, you know, like the four, sort of four square you draw across and you've got four boxes on the page. And on, on sort of one axis I'd put... Uh, urgent and non-urgent and on the other axis I'd have clinical and non-clinical so that would divide your space up into urgent clinical things which obviously must be done 
immediately. And then there's sort of urgent non-clinical things. Um, you know, like a, someone needs to go home and they need a discharge summary. And if you don't do it now, then it will delay and then have another day in hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, they must be done probably after the urgent clinical things. And you'd have, uh, you know, it goes on. So you'd have um, urgent, uh, non-urgent, non-clinical things that probably you'll put to the bottom of the list and get to do them when you've got time. So that's the way I used to manage priorities. Um, but really what what I've been sort of thinking about while you guys have been talking is that it, it needs whatever solution does come out of the, um, the, the sort of magma needs to really be flexible for the way people want to use it across teams. Otherwise it just won't be adopted. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, for example, one of the in bone marrow, in bone marrow transplant or acute leukemia patients, one of the things that we are obsessive about keeping track of is how many days a patient has started chemotherapy for how many days they've been on a particular antibiotic. And at the moment, unfortunately, people either manually update that list by changing six to seven every day, or they run an Excel spreadsheet that that calculates it for them. But but as you point out, everybody has a very unique need for it. And which also brings me to say that whatever system that we decide to design in the future, they need to have local expertise to be able to customize it otherwise people will just return to the patient to the paper list yeah and that's one of the advantages of paper you can put whatever you like on it it's so adaptable yep. but, but i think you can build very flexible systems you know very flexible maybe not very flexible systems that integrate into a hospital network but certainly from a personal point of view um for for actually uh, managing this kind of problem you know, you, you can build flexible solutions. And maybe we should now go on um, to talk about, I think we've sort of already veered into this, sort of who has tried what various techniques. Stephen mentioned his his four quadrants um, and uh, what is actually out there and what, what what is the, you know, what is the potential here? Well, I mean, I know that there are lots of doctors um, who, I mean, I guess you could call the iPad generation, who are using their devices, mobile devices, um, on the wards. And we can talk about information government issues with that probably a bit later. Um, But I know people are using spreadsheet applications to do exactly what we were talking about with the patient list, try and replicate the kind of patient list that they have stored on the computer. But the advantage of having it on a mobile device is that they they can carry it and update it on the fly, which yeah. I think is incredibly useful. Yeah. Um, and I've I think, also seen... So, go on. I was going to say, and, and there are a number of applications which are to-do applications, which, yeah, exactly. can, which can be adjusted for this purpose very easily. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking of thing, um, uh, I'm thinking of applications such as OmniFocus, which is a very uh, GTD-focused um, application. There's also another one called... Um, things we'll link to all of these in the show notes so you can check them out um and things is very interesting to me because they've just although there are huge information governance issues surrounding this but things have just uh, implemented a highly highly fast cloud syncing technology whereby you can enter a task on on the ipad version and literally three seconds later it will propagate to all the other devices um that, that are linked to that account so from a simply very disruptive point of view, if we were to, let's just for argument's sake, say that there was no patient information and the doctors uh, were, were just managing to-dos as a team and they had one account using things and some had iPhones, some had iPads, some had, had, um, had desktops, although I think it only works on Mac, so that's pretty unlikely in the NHS, but we're, this is a bit of a fantasy. Theoretically, that group collaboration issue with patient lists would be solved using an application that is already out there at the moment um, with a little bit of lateral thinking and early adoption. I guess that's why we're doing this kind of podcast because I mean, we're all frustrated. We, we, I mean, I've used things. I know you've recently moved to it, Ed, and um, I, I'm using OmniFocus myself, and these are iOS applications on um, uh, iOS devices like the iPhone. Um, but when you go around managing, you know, your daily tasks and, and other things at work, um, you know, for, for your extracurricular activities on something like this, and then you go into work and you're updating a paper list stored on a hard drive in a computer that everyone has to print off and everyone's got different copies of. I mean, how frustrating is that? Yeah, Incredib- incredibly frustrating. And don't forget, 
about the strange phenomenon that when we walk into most NHS hospitals, we completely lose our cellular signal. Yeah. And I don't quite fully understand that. And of course, we're not going to get any easy access to the Wi-Fi network on our personal devices um, anytime soon. Even though I see a lot of IT directors walking around hospitals with um, iPads connecting to the I mean, Wi-Fi. I think, I think this is an issue maybe for another podcast, but that, for me, that is totally ridiculous. And, and it's a sort of corporate hangover um, from the early days of the internet where it was assumed that all employees, if they're given access to the internet, will instantly start looking up pornography and uh, start doing nefarious things and start hacking and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it is, I think it is crazy that we're not giving people access, uh, easy access to the internet in a hospital environment. There are so many reasons why it should happen. And, there are, and, and, and the argument that, oh, we must nail down security um, is, is not valid either because some individuals, more, a lot of individuals and in trusts, such as IT directors, such as people working in the IT department, do have access to this network. Mm. So why, why are they so much suddenly more trustworthy than a clinician or a nurse? Or, you know, uh, why should they have access to information and those other people not? I mean, we've got moral codes to, uh, you know, we've got the sort of General Medical Council setting out how we should behave. And uh, I'm not sure they have an equivalent uh, analogous uh, group. I don't know. Was, a, was about to say that myself. Yeah, you're right. We've got very high professional standards that we subscribe to. And, and we don't need to have our internet access removed to be able to enforce those standards. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's not, it shouldn't be assumed that we're going to break the rules and then take action on based on that assumption. Yeah, if you follow that logic through, you wouldn't allow doctors uh, access to any, you know, controlled drugs or medications or, or give them any leeway. If, you know, applying that kind of approach to the internet just seems wrong, doesn't it? And completely out of pace with the, you know, the, 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 the ideas for best practice, in my opinion. So how, how are we going to take this forward? How, what steps do we need to take to make uh, something like this a, a reality in the hospitals that we work in? Well, I know that we both have experience of this, Wei Kong, so maybe we can just... So, and, and, you know, I, I, this is something that's bugged me. Um, I mean, many people listening to this podcast will know that I used to be a practicing junior doctor. I was a junior doctor for about four years, and I then left to, to do medical IT consultancy. Um, but while I was still a, a doctor, towards the end, I, um, I decided to build a, an iPhone application that actually started to tackle some of these uh, problems. Uh, we'll link to it. It's called the House Officer app. It's 100% free, 100% open source. If you wanted to download the source code and change it for whatever purposes or integrate it into your hospital system, you could do that. Um, it was something I felt very passionate about and wanted to try and um, uh, contribute to. And it's also a bit of an example of disruptive technology because I, I decided that I went to a lot of meetings with, with senior managers within the NHS and I presented this problem rather like we've done today i presented the problem uh and i presented the uh what i thought would be a solution and every single time i hit a brick wall um and usually it had to do with just the very the the, the notion that that any any patient information of any sort could be stored on a device and that was for most people just too much to even stomach um the difficult thing and i, and I sort of call this the um I, I call this the sort of digital patient list hypocrisy argument is that we make it all up and in, in, uh, make a big fuss about the use of um, the use of digital technology for the patient list and the information governance regarding that. But we don't care the fact that junior doctors are carrying around pieces of paper with all this information on them anywhere and, and leaving them in uh, every which place. So, like, yeah. I, I agree with that. Like, my iPhone, for example, uh, it's passcode locked. Uh, so whatever I have stored in there is passcode locked. And if I lose it, I know that I can remote wipe it. So I can go onto the web and I can uh, log into an account and I can delete every single thing that exists on that device. Yep. I think that's much safer than having something that may fall out of my bag or my pocket. And don't forget, the, the, of course, the app is passcode protected as well. So you've yep. got one to get into the phone, one to get into the app, and it can be remotely wiped. And I would really challenge anybody, and please do in the comments give us your thoughts on this, but I would really challenge anyone to say that that is less secure for patients than a piece of paper in someone's pocket. And, and don't forget as well that they've already agreed that our phones are very secure devices because they allow us to get access to our NHS.net email addresses 
through our iPhones and our Android devices. And we are allowed to exchange patient identifiable information through NHS Net. Exactly. So, so, they, I, yeah, so I think, I think the spa- there is a massive space here for, for disruptive innovation. You know, groups of, groups of young doctors getting together, trying to solve this problem and delivering it to the people, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. So making, you know, engaging junior clinicians in this problem, showing them possible solutions and getting them using it so that they can improve the quality of care that they deliver for their patients. And maybe once that starts to happen, it will be in, we'll be in a position or people might be in a position to actually say, or yes, let's integrate this into the hospital system. Let's have a custom version of this to integrate it into hospital systems to get this ideal integrated modular electronic patient record system that we discussed a bit earlier. So do yeah. you think that now we've discussed sort of task management and, and the benefits of having an electronic thing, so like access control, you can take it wherever you like, you can update multiple, uh, it's better for team working because you can update multiple devices or lists um, uh, at the same time. So it's almost, you know, real time changes can be propagated through a network of devices. So that's great for task management, but that's not the only thing that the paper list does. I mean, how, because I know that we spoke about this, Ed, about the handover problem. Um, so when you're going to a handover, you've got a list of tasks that you need to uh, do for that day. And sometimes on call, if you're not handed over a list, you tend to just respond to what, you know, what they call the latest and loudest. So what's the latest thing to come along and what seems the most urgent, rather than having any kind of framework for dealing with it. So I think you had an idea for something you wanted to integrate into your free app that I thought was quite nice. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so... Um... The, the the idea is to essentially um, integrate a a way of, of of taking the information that you hold on on your device about a patient, including their core information and their details, and be able to effectively and very quickly hand that over to another doctor without having to go through the process that occurs at the moment where one doctor will say, oh, the patient's name is John Smith and the other doctor will be dutifully copying onto their piece of paper. The hospital number is this, this and this, which is a yeah. very inefficient and actually, you know, people make mistakes, especially... Yeah, they're right, Dave they're, Smith, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. If they're in a hurry. So, so we're implementing a, a solution at the moment whereby you can actually pump fists with another doctor um, having selected a patient and agreed that that device is acceptable and your lo- it's, it only works locally, and pump at- fists. Yeah, yeah. You can you can it's called you can do a bump with the other patient with the there other with, app, with the other doctor. There's an application called Bump, wasn't there? There is, and it's actually yeah. leveraging the Bump API. Bump. All right. Yeah. It, this was originally designed for exchanging contact information, um, so people instead of exchanging business cards, they could just pump fists. Um, and where, and the, the information would just jump from one device to the other and back and forth for contact details. But you can use this, this to implement a simple patient handover with all the relevant data. It's fast, it's quick, and it's a lot more accurate than copying it all down by hand. And because it only works in the actual, you know, within a meter radius, it's very secure as well because the device you're working with has to actually be authorized by yourself before the, the bump will actually work. So, um, I mean, mechanism aside, and, uh, you know, the concept is that you can transfer your task between clinician. So from clinician to clinician, you can transfer it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's so the idea. And I mean, eventually, of course, we wouldn't, we, that's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to have a centralized server, whereby mm. every time you tick off an item, it goes up to the server and then the server then propagates it down to all your other team members so that they know. But we're not that we're not there yet. Um, without until the, the until the hospitals start to accept the need for this. No, Ed, I, I like the bump idea, um, and I suppose there's a couple of reasons I like it. I mean, having a central server is obviously the way to go from a sort of programming and hardware network kind of point of view. But I really do like the the bumping idea um, because you have to be there with the other doctor. And it's something that you have to initiate. So you both have to, one has to initiate the transfer of information and the other person has to accept. And that has to happen in proximity, you know, from one doctor next to another. I don't know if that's the most efficient way, but it certainly sounds the best way for, it mirrors what we do already in the kind of handover meetings. Yes. I think that works. Yeah, that works quite well for handover. Um, But 
but often it's a handover from one team to another, isn't it? Not from one individual to another. So I'm just thinking there'll be a lot of bumping going on um, if that's what... Well, that... you know, human contact is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, filthy connotations aside, fist pumping and all that, I think that, you know, um, certainly for the handover from one do- on-call doctor to another, uh, say, for example, I mean, there's loads of different situations in which we hand over, but I can see that if there's a patient in A&E that needs to come in and they need to talk to the relevant registrar and whatever specialty, uh, a brief conversation and uh, and someone initiating something, and it, I suppose it would be better if it happened face-to-face, uh, but if it didn't, there, there should be another way of someone, just that concept of someone initiating the other person accepting. Yeah. Ideally face to face, but obviously that's not practical. In fact, you just, uh, you just triggered something in my mind that we can probably talk about on the, one of the next few episodes, which is about how to manage referrals between teams and between specialties, both within and outside of hospitals. That might be something we can talk about in the future because that's, something that's often um, takes up a lot of our time and creates a lot of problems. Because my patient list, I mean, uh, um, my patient list as a, a medical SHO used to be the very, you know, this is our list of teams, patients, or, or the patients on the ward. But now um, I'm a registrar. I, I mean, I have patients that are under neurology on the ward. So I still have that aspect of managing patients on the ward or under our team. But I also have the referrals as well. So I've got a list of referrals. And sometimes there are two lists. My, there's my referral list of things I have to do for my referrals. And there's also the list of patients on the ward. And I'm managing two patient lists. Just to let you know, in my last um, weekend on call, I was managing a four patient list. Because in the hematology department we are at, we've got uh, leukemia, lymphoma, bone marrow transplant, uh, red cells and others. Goodness! Can oh. you hear Ed's uh, brain frying? I've I've seen I've seen worse than that, I and mean, this is going to turn into a sort of uh, you know uh, Monty, well, Mon- Monty Python sketch. But I, <laughs> I I've seen um, when I where I was working as a as an F one, um, the way that handover on the weekend used to work is that everybody, every single team, would print off a copy of their list yes. and they would stick it in the handover room on the wall. And then the reg would walk around with all 12 patient lists on the weekend, um, all in a completely different format, uh, all some marked with do- jobs to do for the weekend, some well, some not marked at all, some very poorly designed and have to try and figure out what was going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens commonly. And I, and I bet you none of the nursing staff knew that those jobs had to be done or existed. Uh, nope. or, or maybe they knew in a different way. Maybe it was written in the notes, but they wouldn't have known that, that someone else knew that. No, because it would be put together at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon by an F1 who was keen to get home. So mm. how are we going to work as a team if, if the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing? By centralising. Uh. And by having easy, you know, having all this stuff in a in a place whereby... You know, it's not a question of updating it again, doing it all manually, printing it out, putting it somewhere. It's almost, it's updating every day, every minute that you're looking after the patient. It's constantly changing and evolving into being something which is useful and accessible, whether you're working on the weekend, at nights or whenever. What about sort of other benefits? I know that we've said that this electron, uh, making a patient electronic has benefits for, for handover, has benefits for task management and identifying whose patients, whose, for example. But what about other benefits? I know we've all spoke before about other things like um, uh, earlier we mentioned audit, uh, but I'm interested in sort of the other benefits like quality improvement. So is there any way that you can get analytics out of this that, that you could go into making a quality improvement initiative around? Well, um, I don't know whether this comes under the audit's quality improvement, but we can talk about the you know, time elapsed between um, decision made to order X-ray, um, when the X-ray was done, and when was action was taken on the X-ray. Yeah, again, you might that, identify that, problems, mightn't you? Yep. Um, you can look at workload. I mean, if, if, if you've got a single junior doctor at night having to you know, having 20 urgent things to manage at the same time, urgent clinical issues and you can record that, then you know that that probably is not appropriate. So it's actually a very good way of managing workload as well. And I yeah, actually I... think, but from the patient perspective, I think that can work quite well as well. Because let's say if you imagine in the future that all patients um, by their bedside or something, they have 
an, an electronic um, access to something, that they actually know what is actually going to happen to them. Because I've always been told by some very enlightened clinicians that one of the greatest fears about being a patient is the fear of the unknown. And it can be as simple as, I don't know when I'm going to have my scan and if someone has ordered it already. Yeah, that's really interesting because we had loads of problems in a hospital that I was working at. Oh, remain lameless for now. But um, uh, because there were so many different departments and we were ordering maybe multiple tests for a particular patient um, at once, they would be scheduled by the individual departments. But of course, they wouldn't talk to each other. Um, they would just arrange an appointment for the patient to go down. So say patient had to have an ultrasound scan of the tummy. They've come in with tummy pain and they also had to have an endoscopy to look into their stomach. Well, both those departments would arrange appointments separately and there's no, the patient should have a diary or, you know, in electronic form. So that, I mean, the patients are, are very busy in hospital. They get to see lots of different people and it's often quite tiring to be in hospital because there are so many things and we can never ensure they get enough rest and appointments for their OGD or endoscopy may be missed because they're at ultrasound and there's no collaboration in that sense. There might be think? a much bigger problem than patient is. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's all part and parcel of it, really, isn't it? So just sort of having the patient, I mean, it goes with what you were saying about the patient needs to know what's going to happen to them. So you could say today, well, Mr. Bloggs, well, you've got a, a scan in the morning and we were going to do your endoscopy in the afternoon, but that's a little unfair because you won't get appropriate rest and there's no rush for this endoscopy, so you can have it tomorrow morning, that kind of thing. Or even something as simple as we are planning to have a blood test, uh, do a blood test on you tomorrow. But some people are just so anxious about something as simple as that, and this can put their mind to rest. Understandably so. Mm. And and that see, I don't see this as a uh, as a big issue from a tech point of view. You just just like we spoke before, you've got a nursing module, you've got a physio module, you have a you have a you have a sort of patient a patient themselves module, you know, or a patient viewer module attached to the core patient record, uh, which gives them that that information. Um, and obviously, you need to decide. You know, I know this is a big big issue with some people thinking patients should have access to everything some people think they should have access to something etc etc but you know it's not it's not so infoseeable that 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 could happen no so it completely changed the way that you know our relationships with patients and other clinicians sounds like a topic for another episode yeah definitely definitely (laughs) so i think we're, we're going on for um we're nearly we're at about 50 minutes now so mm. we, we probably exhausted people's attention spans um so shall we shall we just sort of try and summarize what we've spoken about yeah um it's a big problem and i think there's lots of things to discuss and I, i'm not sure we gave it any logical order but um i mean it, it i think it speaks to the nature of how difficult this problem is to tackle it on the on the first uh look it seems quite simple there's a patient list on a piece of paper uh, stored usually in electronic form on a computer in a hard drive somewhere. Um, but actually to try and turn that into an electronic uh, mobile form, there's lots of issues that, that come with it, lots of benefits. And uh, I think we spoke about some of the jobs that the patient has had to do, which I'm, I'm quite keen in separating. And I, I, guess, for, I guess for me, uh, I think the first, the first most important step that needs to be taken is for management in hospital to admit that this is a problem and define it. And if that doesn't work, I just don't think that it's going that this is going to go forward. And I think as more junior members of the medical fraternity, we've got a bit of a responsibility to try our best to somehow make our voices heard more. And this is actually quite a good point. You know, I actually, I think the opposite almost, and perhaps people can offer their comments on this, but I think that we need to be, as junior doctors, we need to be much more disruptive in this in this way. And yes, go to managers, but if they don't listen and they don't commission this sort of technology that we need, we have to build it ourselves. And we have to take measures to actually build things ourselves that make our lives uh, and our, our lives and our patient lives better. I think we just need to um, just to work out what is the the clinician workflow and how can we augment that with technology. Um, and until that happens, I can't see there being any movement 
I mean, it's very, di- it's a very difficult problem. There are lots of facets to it. And until you actually sit down and think, well, how can we think about this in a different way? What jobs do we need to do? And how can we do them differently? And just design it from, and I think I agree with you, Ed, from the ground up. I think it needs to come from us. It's an esoteric thing. I don't think if you sat down and told a, a bunch of managers to, to go and find a solution, they'd find it uh, very difficult. But I do think they need to, at a managerial level, recognise that this is a problem and try and engage the people who are you know, using the list day in, day out. It's the junior doctors. It's the most junior in the team who uses this list, updates it, and it's their responsibility. And the managers should be talking to them, not the consultants, because I don't think the consultants, a lot of them are very interested, but I, from my experience, some of them are not really aware or as aware as the junior doctor who's making and using the list of the kind of problems. Yeah, so I, I wasn't um, suggesting that we need to go to the managers to ask for permission. But I think, uh, as you said, we need to make them at least aware that this is a problem. They don't necessarily have to have the answers, but if they recognize it's a problem, they might give us some resource and time to help solve the problem. Yeah. Do you like um, the Google uh, 80-20% time? As a sort of model. So Google employees have 80% of their time spent doing the work the company wants them to do, but they get to spend 20% of their working day on stuff they think is valuable. And I think that would be really great for for doctors to have maybe not 20% of all of their working time, but just some time built in where they can really sit down and think hard about these kind of problems and how to improve them. I think many spot doctors spend a lot more than 20% of their time doing things that are not related to work while they're at work but that's another, that's another issue <laughs> I, i'm not sure i'm not sure where you have worked before but i realized that i tend to do like 150 percent time most of the time uh, yeah i mean this shouldn't be doctor's own time i mean doctors do a lot of audits and quality improvement stuff in their own time and this should be working this should be getting people together and and having sort of managers and it guys in the hospital getting together and doing stuff I think I think quite a nice point to leave us on would be just a sort of uh, almost a fantasy of you know what would doctors do tomorrow if they were told that they weren't allowed to write on the paper in anywhere except the note any patient identifiable information. Okay, I'll take this one. I would. I mean, because I, I think everything should be in the notes. So if. Uh, I mean, hopefully the the notes would be electronic, but if they weren't, I would, if I weren't allowed to write anything down on any other list, I would do it all in the notes. So I would uh, do my handover over the telephone and write that I've done it in the notes. I would write the problems and my tasks in the notes. But how would you, how would you then manage after a ward round 40 tasks? You'd have to go back to the notes and. Yeah, if I could, I'd use my, my iPhone and I'd use OmniFocus. So I think that that's a very interesting sort of that's a very interesting thought, you know, is what what if the, it, from a very simple level, patient lists were just banned, you know, they just you just weren't allowed it because paper was too insecure. You'd have to find another solution. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need need a patient list. I mean, I think that um, you need a list of tasks that you're going to have ordered in some kind of priority and attached to resources and contexts. Um, I think you need to identify which patient is yours. And a lot of the EA, uh, electronic health records are doing that anyway. Um, handover is the biggest problem, I think, without... If you weren't allowed to write a patient list or write things down on a piece of paper, I think handover would be quite difficult because i that's the way I currently work. And the, the only way I can think of around that is to use tools like OmniFocus and to-do apps. Yeah. Well, you see, I think, I think the best thing that the trust could do to kickstart this is just to ban patient lists, written patient lists. And can you, that would just, that would create so much innovation so quickly. And it's a very easy intervention, which doesn't cost any money. But anyway, that's, that's my. <laughs> would care not suffer in the short term though? Well, yeah, I was about to say. Well, maybe. It's it just a thought experiment. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, I think it can be interesting often just to think of situations like that and what, what the sort of minimum movement that would be required in order to achieve change is. And I'd, I, love, to, I'd love to build a, a hospital, you know, maybe in my mind, but. I'd love to do it in real life as well. Just design it from the ground up and just say, like, what needs to happen in this hospital? What kind of workflows need to happen? And how can we orchestrate that? So completely do away with any kind of notion of what a hospital currently is and just start again. Mm. Yeah. That'd be great. I think, I, I think we'll leave it there.
<laughs> it's getting too philosophical, and it's a, it's a it's a sign that we should uh, we should stop. Yeah, fantastic. Right, so, um, so yeah, don't forget to leave comments on the the web page where we're going to publish this podcast because we'll very much like to hear um, from people out there about this uh, problem that affects us all. Yeah, or you so can com- use a Twitter tag. Yes, and uh, yeah, so the Twitter tag. Um, so if you want to follow us, uh, once again, is at the DigiDoc. Um, and our Twitter tag uh, for the upcoming conference is uh, the DigiDoc12. DigiDoc12. So, I mean, I would like to hear um, not only feedback on the kind of uh, topic that we discussed, uh, but sort of maybe suggestions for future topics. That would be good. Um, examples of where you've seen good innovation or, or problems that you that you found. Um, and also to try and engage in, in a conversation with, with the rest of the community. So if you know someone who's interested in type of thing, please do introduce them to, to what we're doing and, uh, and hopefully we can get some good conversations going. And uh, Ed, what should we do for our next show? Gosh. I was thinking, what about pages and bleep? Oh, yes, you'd love that, wouldn't you? Oh. <laughs> but, uh, well, we, Yes, I think we should do that. Yeah. Be good, ther- good therapy for me. Yeah, yeah. I, this has been a good therapy session for me, guys. Thank you for uh, putting up with my rants. So hang on. So I need. So the third, this, this third episode needs to be something that, that that's my bugbear because Waycon, you've got yours in, and Ed, we've discussed yours, which is the patient list. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think about my bugbear. Okay then. No, that will be yeah. the fourth episode. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, fourth. <laughs> okay, let's leave it there. Right. Cool. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.